And so that number of churches that were already declining kind of sped up. Now the numbers are one out of every four churches will be in danger of closing within the next five years. 40% of all pastors have considered quitting this year, 40%. And then the average age of a pastor has grown to be 57 now. So we have less pastors in the pipeline coming up that are younger. We have older pastors gonna retire in the next, you know, 10 years. And then we have this state of the church in America, which is largely unhealthy. You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javet, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. Hello and welcome back to Our Urban Voices. I'm your host, Dr. Alphonse Javed. Today I'm joined by Mike Rubino, the lead pastor of Cornerstone Church at Port Jefferson Station on Long Island. Our topic today focuses on how your church can thrive in the new year. Pastor Mike's passion is communicating timeless Bible truths through culturally relevant programming. As a member of Generation X, his desire is to help build a multicultural and multi-generational church that continues to grow both wide and deep. He's a leader who loves the Lord. He's a leader who loves the local church. He's also the founder and president of the Revitalize Center. Over the course of 20 years, he has helped plant, replant, and revitalize multiple churches in the Northeast. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. Uh, thank you, Dr. Javad. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So before we get started, please tell us very briefly about your family. I believe family is so important because it helps to humanize us as persons, as people. So tell us a little bit about your family, brother. Yeah, I'm, I'm blessed. I couldn't do what I do for the Lord without my wife, and my children. I like to say that they're in ministry with me. I think every pastor's family is the unsung heroes of, of their ministry. So I met my wife originally in seventh grade. She's the first girl that walked into class that I noticed that I liked girls and I was smitten, just smitten, but she wanted nothing to do with me. I was just I was just short and chunky and not cool at all, but I was in love. And I just hounded her until she finally married me when we were 29. Uh, we have two kids now, both teenagers. Uh, one just got her license. She turned 17. So uh, I had a full head of hair last week. I am bald <laughs> this week. Uh, it's been it's been wild, but it's been awesome. And I'm just grateful. God's been very, very good to me. Uh, thank you, brother, for sharing that. Yeah, I got two children. Um, actually, not two, two children. I'm sorry. Forgive me. My wife's going to be so upset with me. I got four children. <laughs> I, so here's, no, no. I've been doing podcasts for some time. So then there were two children. So I got into the habit of saying it. You know, when you now have. Now you have to explain which yeah. two you forgot. I, I know, right? That's why. <laughs> so I had four children, uh, five, four, and my twins are two years old. Um. Oh, I'm going to pray and fast for you. Did you say five, four, two twins at a two? Yeah, my my twins are uh, two years old. So five, four, and twin is two years old girls. Um, Yeah. Oh, my. And you have a full head of hair. Look at you. You're doing well, my friend. (laughs) Thanks, man. You see, we don't need the joke at the end. We got (laughs) this here. We're going to skip that. I totally agree. And uh, I think. If we are not doing well in families, in our families, I think it's hard to do ministry. Ministry without family doesn't make sense to me. Right. Um, men who are amazing pastors, when, when they are so involved in ministry, they do a great job. 
in ministry, but they fail in families. Um, and that's why I think I bring this up often because uh, you never know who is listening. So I just want to share this to encourage pastors to focus on families. And of course, the uh, Lord has called us to serve the Lord in the church setting, but family, your own family needs to be mis- ministered first. So let's continue this conversation. Please tell us about the Thrive program. What is it? Uh, yeah. And, and, and um, who is it for? And how does it work? Think yeah, those kind me, of questions. Let me give you some context. So uh, I've been the pastor here as a lead pastor five years. I came on board as the associate 10 years ago. And we're kind of an outlier for a Long Island, New York church. We have seven acres, um, a school building, a church building, an athletic facility building, two houses. And uh, it's just abnormal for our setting with the cost of real estate. So when I showed up and the Lord called me here distinctly, there was about 40 people left and the average age was high Mm -hmm. 60s. Yeah. So it was, you know, we were, you could imagine the money that we were losing every year, just maintaining the property with, with that congregational base. And this was before the word revitalization existed within a church context. So I just knew that God had called me to get up where I was and come to this church right. and to serve this church. I, I, I knew it as sure as I knew anything in my life. Otherwise, it made no sense. Yeah. So I came on board. I had to take a second job because they couldn't afford to pay me. So that that wasn't fun. But But you do whatever you have to do when the Lord calls you to something. And by God's grace and mercy, we started to see revitalization without even realizing that's what it was right away. And so we slowly kind of took this 40-person church and every year kind of added the chunk of people to right before COVID, we were about 400 people. Wow, man. That's praise God. Praise God. It was it was organized chaos is probably the best way I could put that. Uh, it was a lot of fun. But I always felt like we were playing catch up. And one of the things that God put in our heart right away as a church was that we were going to pour out whatever God gave to us. And so once we started understanding that we were revitalizing the church, we wanted to help other churches do the same thing. Yeah. Right. We didn't want to hoard any resources. We want to so immediately we started doing things like revitalization conferences and producing resources So that's kind of the genesis of Thrive. And right around the time we were about to launch this, COVID hit. And so I'll just give some statistics. There's always shifting, but they're always in the ballpark. You know, 85 to 95% of all churches are surviving. They would not be, you know, categorized as thriving churches. So that means either declining or they're, they're flat. They have plateaued, but the community around them is growing. So they're losing ground in their community. And then as pastors, everything we, we've learned to do that was the norm for us has kind of shifted. I mean, I don't know what happened in your context, but I know for us, the pandemic, the, the protests and the presidential election was like lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. It just mm-hmm. ripped off anything that was hidden beneath the surface. It came out. Real quick. And so that number of churches that were already declining kind of sped up. Now the numbers are one out of every four churches will be in danger of closing within the next five years. 40% of all pastors have considered quitting this year. 40%. Wow. 
And then the average age of a pastor has grown to be 57 now. So we have less pastors in the pipeline coming up that are younger. We have older pastors going to retire in the next, you know, 10 years. And then we have this state of the church in America, which is largely unhealthy. Right. Uh, and so, wow, like that, that's, that's a lot. That could be a little overwhelming to even say out loud to listen to myself say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the things I've learned through the years as I've been exploring revitalization and books and conferences and all these amazing resources were that some were like hyper-theological and really blessed me, but I had a hard time putting them into practice. Mm. Some were, were super practical, but mm. I found them detached from a theological base, which ultimately right. I think is unhealthy. Um, and then some just did not take into account that pastors overall um, are just stressed out, don't have a lot of time. And that one little line in our job description, other duties as required. Like I thought, I, listen, Dr. Javed, I thought that I was getting hired to preach, teach, uh. and, and, and shepherd. Apparently, uh, there's a lot more to it than just that. I don't know what your experience is. Same as here, brother. Same as here. That's that's uh, whether you have a solo pastor or you have uh, multiple pastors. It's just you're right. I I totally, and I I see your point there. That's so, so many other things come into our day mm -hmm. that demand our attention, and so our time is very very precious. So, yeah. as someone who's a local pastor, who I'm in the trenches every day, I wanted to develop something that was theological. Mm -hmm. that was practical, that was efficient with time, and, and that would really help pastors take one step forward. Because I think a lot of times we just don't know what what the next step should be. It just seems yeah. so over, there's so many problems. It seems overwhelming for where we are to get where we want to be. So we designed right. Thrive. And, and, and Thrive really, um, you know, our kind of tagline is helping churches take one step from surviving to thriving. Yeah. Right. We don't, we, it's not going to be a three-year plan. We're not going to ask you to write a book. Uh, we're not going to ask you to read 14 different authors on strategy and leadership. And, you know, we want to be really targeted. And here's what we found and I found for myself personally. Number one, pastors need to get to know themselves again. Right. You cannot lead well if you're not leading yourself well. Mm. <laughs> and you can't lead yourself well if you're not self-aware. Yeah. Right. So so I have found in my life that no one has lied to me more than I've lied to myself. Right. So we, we rationalize and we're busy and, and it's overwhelming. So the first month we just we just take and we look at a pastor where they're at spiritually with the Lord. Right. Because sermon prep is not devotional time. You yeah, know, yeah. you got to You got to be in serious prayer with the Lord, not just at a church prayer meeting. You know, you need to have that 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 give and take spiritually, but God, uh, emotionally, there's something that I was raised not to talk about. So I, culturally, I'm I come from a Sicilian background. Yeah. So like I was raised to not have feelings. Right. Like if I expressed feelings other than anger, it was inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> it was just just yeah. just how I grew up, right? So emotionally, I was stunted. So I, and I think a lot of pastors find that people look at them. And they can't admit that they're struggling or tired or, you know, frustrated and to become emotionally bottled up. So emotional health. I don't know if you're familiar with Pete Scazzaro. Yeah. 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 His work yeah. through new life has been transformative for me. Yeah. 
So, so spiritually, we look at it emotionally. Then we look relationally. How's the relationship with the wife and the kids? Um, you know, I've gone through seasons of ministry, and you alluded to this when we were talking, where I think my wife felt like, she, you know, she was the mistress and the church was my wife. Uh, right? Yeah. And she she verbally, my wife's another Italian woman who's very strong-willed and personality-wise, and I'm so grateful for that because she just told me straight out, like, yeah. you come home, and I feel like I'm your mistress. And that was like a big wake-up call for me. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, intellectually, we deal with some leadership skills and some things that pastors are strong at. It's more important to find out what you're weak at so you can kind of build support systems. So month one, it's just about getting to know yourself again. If 40% mm -hmm. are thinking about quitting, then there's mm -hmm. something broken spiritually, emotionally, relationally, professionally. Mm -hmm. And we want to like dive into that and do, do some deconstruction so that we can put it back together stronger than before because leadership does matter. Yeah, yeah. Right? The second step, Month two is we deal with church health. Where is the church at spiritually and emotionally and relationally? You know, there's some spiritual markers for church health that are true, regardless of what country you're in, what your primary language is, uh, how old or young the church is generationally. There are some spiritual health markers that are consistent. because right. The church is timeless. Right, right, right. right. So, so God has some principles that apply everywhere at all times. And so we want pastors to get to know where their church really is. Because I know my church shifted radically during the pandemic. The church I pastor now is not the same church that I left when the pandemic started. We opened our doors a different church. So I think it's just important for pastors to know people shuffling churches and the mood of the church. And you yeah. know, I think we're suffering from like a, kind of a cultural PTSD, right, 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 like a malaise and a bit of disconnection. So you didn't know where your church is at because you have a shepherd knows his sheep, right? Yeah. So we take a month and we get to know where the church is at. The third month, we get to know the community again. And, and so I'm, we're in the Northeast. Uh, so we, we tend to see waves of immigration coming in and waves of emigration going out. So what I mean by that is, we have new people moving into our area all the time from all different cultures. But then we also have a wave of boomers that are kind of saying, we're ready to go. Like we're leaving. Right. And COVID really was like pressing the fast forward button where like virtual work and, and home prices first dipping and then skyrocketing really shifted who was living in our community. And even not just demographically, but psychographically. You know, where, where are the people in our community at? What are their hopes? What are their dreams? How are they feeling? So we have some great resources and assessment to help churches get to know who's living around them again. Kind of like a, it's like a big reset right now what's happening. Right. And, and then finally, month four is, hey, listen, this is, we got to do something with this information. It's good to know. Right. But it's better to do something. So we take what we know, and then we develop a plan to take one step forward that will bring the church one step closer from surviving to thriving. And that has taken many different uh, forms for many different churches, because whether you're a church in the South Bronx or a church in Greenwich, Connecticut, you all need to know yourselves, know your church, know your community, and you all can make a plan. So they look different, but they accomplish the same thing. I like the psychography. 
Did you, did you come up with that term? No. So I'm actually I've been doing a lot of work with Dr. Tom and Sam Rayner. Um, okay. they, yeah. they, they run church answers. I partner with them. I lead the revitalized network for them. And, and Tom and Sam have kind of really beat that into me. It's not just who is in your community demographically, but psychographically, you know, yeah. who are they? Not just what are mm -hmm. they? And that's been really transformative for the churches we've helped. That's really awesome, man. So what are the common attitudes and activities that create the, the decline of a congregation? Or even uh, in certain cases, you already said that sometimes it's even uh, it gets really fast. So you can start so gradual, right? Because yeah. it's gradual, you don't see it. But then it's almost somebody pushed the gas. So then it's just yeah. like suddenly you're like, what just happened? Yeah. And yeah. you're like, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. But it was happening. So what are the common attitudes and activities that create that? I, I think that, that what happens is we don't see our surroundings very clearly. So we only see what we expect to see. So if I go to church and my three or four closest friends and their family still go to church, right? And the budget is largely decent, even if we're not doing great, but the lights are on and we're still doing all the same ministries we've kind of always done, then all in my mind, all is well. Yeah. And then something happens uh, traumatic, whether it be a, a pastor leaves or there's a mini church split or uh, the roof starts to leak. And we realize, yeah, we were paying to keep the lights on, but we can't afford to fix the roof. Um, and that's when you, like, your eyes are open for the first time. I always like to tell pastors, you know, the first time I had a real estate agent come in to sell my house and they said to me, hey, why... Uh, why haven't you fixed the spackle in the bathroom? And I said, what do you mean? And, I, and then I remember like five years before my kids broke it. I spackled it, never painted it. But to me, it's not broken anymore because it, the wall is, is functional. So it's not broken, but it certainly wasn't working the way it was supposed to. So I think it happens to us in church. We, we patch things up, but we don't really fix what's underneath them. Yeah. And then we think it's fine until it's not fine. So someone points it out. To us. So I think that the number one attitude I have seen in churches that are declining and starting to die is that they're, they're still, we're all in spiritual warfare, right? That's true for all of us. But Christians and churches that are on a spiritual decline start shooting the POWs that we're supposed to be setting free, mm. right? So we forget that our enemies are principalities and powers. Like, I, as, as a believer, I have no enemies. People can be my enemy. I'm not theirs. Yeah. Everyone is a prisoner of war that God has called me to set free with the gospel of Jesus Christ, just like he set me free when I was his enemy. Yeah. So a lot of times churches are shooting at POWs right. instead of trying to set them free. And something happens. The world around them picks up that we don't like them. Yeah. And they're not welcome here. So as our church starts to age and people start to move and people, you know, church hop or they fade, we don't replace the people we're losing, right? So we slowly start shrinking. And then the smaller we get, there's like this weird inverse psychological defense mechanism that we fall into, which is the smaller we get, the more righteous we are. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're yeah. small because we tell the truth. Yeah. We're small because we're keeping it real. When, right. when the truth is we're we're getting smaller sometimes because we're not a welcoming church. 
Yeah. Because we don't see evangelism as an essential part of what God has called us to do. I mean, just look how Jesus called the disciples, mm-hmm. right? The book of Mark is probably the best gospel to read for a church that needs a kick in the butt because it's very, you know, swift to the point immediately, immediately. No shock because most of that is Peter's, you know, narrative through John Mark of Jesus's ministry. But when Jesus calls, he's like, get up, let's go, let's get more people. Yeah. He doesn't say, get up, let's go, let's sit at the synagogue and study the scriptures for the rest of our lives. But that's what we're doing in the church. We get up, come to church, and let's sit here and study by ourselves until Jesus comes back or we die. But that that was never the plan. Yeah. So we're talking about not only the progression of that decline, but we're also looking at this, uh, the fact that accelerate the decline because now one you you lost some sheep and you have not gone out to bring them back or replace them in in your flock so are there any similarities in how thriving churches relate to their communities so you uh, just showed us some the thriving churches don't confuse unity with uniformity Okay. Right. So that's one thing that I think really stands out to me. So as a church gets smaller and they're declining, they tend to all look the same, come from the same generation and hold the same viewpoints. Right. So regardless of your persuasion, right, uh, they're all watching the same cable news station. They're all voting right. for the same candidate. They all look somewhat the same, even if there's a little bit of diversity. Right. Um, it's socioeconomically uh, the same. Right. So they all kind of have the same lifestyle. Right. Um, a church that is thriving tends to push against that. They find their unity in things like the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, the Gospel, um, you know, God their Father. They find their unity in things that don't relate right. to their culture, their candidate, um, their socioeconomic status. None of those things are where we're supposed to find unity. So, so it, they have an outward focus. Like they're always looking to be on mission, live on mission. Um, they're just loving. They, they've learned to love the unlovable. And listen, there's no church that does this perfectly, right? Mm-hmm. Our church does not do this publicly, mm-hmm. but we live in the tension where we're willing to hold ourselves accountable to try to live out the ethos of the gospel and to live in real gospel-centered community. So a church may decline for a number of years before they think they need help. What are some of the things that trigger a congregation to finally seek help from an organization like yours to thrive, basically? You know what it is? It's when the pain, and I didn't make this up, someone much smarter than me did, but when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change. Right, right. Right, right. so it, it's that moment where their pastor who's been their pastor for 20, 30 years yeah says it's time for me to go and they look around and they can't find anyone who wants to be their shepherd. They can't believe that they can't find someone because everything was so consistent for years or, you know, two or three families that are core families either pass on or move out to a different state. And all of a sudden they, they, they gave a decent amount. They served, they led a lot of things. They were elders or deacons or Sunday school teachers for years. And now they're gone. And there's no one to replace them or, or like I said, the roof, you know, listen, 
there's nothing sexy about replacing a roof, right? It, right? You expect it to work. Right. But when it doesn't, it's a lot of money. And you go, wait a second, we don't have $100,000. And yeah. all of a sudden, the blinders come off. Uh-huh. And they go, wait a second, it hasn't always been like this. Like, right. we don't have someone to lead us. We don't have people to run ministries. Uh-huh. We can't afford to keep the building up, right? Or something like this happens. And this happened at our church. A family came in with kids when I first got there, besides mine, because my kids were the only kids in the church the first week I was there, and asked where the Sunday school and toddler stuff was, and we said we didn't have any. And that was like this moment where I was able to speak to the grandparents. Our church was primarily grandparents. I said, all right, um, how many of you want your grandkids to get saved? Mm -hmm. And I mean, they all raised their hands. I said, how many are comfortable that if you bring your grandkids here, they're going to be in a space where they're going to hear the gospel at a level they can understand and possibly get saved? And nobody raised their hand. Mm. And it was that moment. It was like, okay, so we're not handing off our baton of faith to the next generation. Well, we're, we're, we're surviving, but we are certainly not thriving. What do we have to do to fix that? Yeah. Right? It's usually some something that crystallizes something they've been feeling kind of for years, but mm-hmm. can't put their finger on it. Right. And then all of a sudden the clouds clear and like, oh, we got a problem. The ship is going down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that you talk about is how methodology follows theology. Would you tell us uh, what you mean by that and give us some successful examples of how that works in different congregations? Yeah. So, you know, Ministry sometimes can model what happens in the world as opposed to what God would want for us. And that's what we, you know, we're in the world and of the world. And it's, you know, so when something becomes trendy, right, everyone jumps on it, right? A a product works, you get 40 copycat products. One TV show or a type of movie works, we got 40 copycats and sequel upon sequel upon sequel. So what happens is, you get people from other movements, like the church growth movement and other movements previously are starting to do things like repackaging those principles mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and selling them as church revitalization. Yeah. Right. And a lot of that deals with methodology. And what I mean by that is, I would say maybe at least half the time, maybe up to 70%, when I talk to a church and say, well, what do you need? Like in your own words, to go from surviving to thriving. I almost to a T hear this, a pastor in his mid forties with 2.5 kids, a wife that works and carries the insurance, but also sings worship and leads the woman's ministry. Um, We need a better looking worship team. They don't say it that way, but that's what they mean. Uh, We need to put some shiplap or some kind of cool thing behind the pulpit. We need some lights. And and that's not a revitalization. Mm -hmm. That's repackaging a dead body. Okay, so if I went to a wake, right, and took someone out of the casket, put them in a money suit so they looked better, they'd still be dead. Right. Right. So, but that's what we're doing. Like, so we're going, look, what are the methods? What are the methods? What are the methods? And, and listen, right. I'm more of what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? How does God work in the world? What is his rhythm? How did Jesus walk the earth? How do they right. relate to people? How do they, you know, so we plant churches. And then, then evangelize and hopefully some t- at some point disciple. Jesus, Paul, they led people to the Lord. They evangelized, then a discipled, 
And then Paul eventually started planting churches. We've actually reversed the order. We right. put the method, you know, in front of the scripture. So I'll give you an example from our own church. Um, we we were Calvary Baptist Church, um, and we decided to change the name for various reasons. Um, one of which was there was 14 other Calvary Baptist churches in a 10-minute radius, which means if you Googled us, you got 10 churches in our area that the same name. So it just it just was very confusing. Um, second was we said, well, what's the theology of the church? Like, right. what is it that we believe about the church? If we're going to rename this thing, it, we, we got to do it with, with the Bible in mind. So we, we said, you know what? Jesus Christ really is the cornerstone of everything we do here. We said, okay, cornerstone. That, that's good. Where are we getting our authority from? What are we really trying to live out within every generation and every culture? The Bible. Okay, Bible. And then we're a church. We're a called out assembly, a group of believers, right, that come together. So cornerstone. Bible Church. We're not the warehouse. We're not Area 51. Um, you know, we have a very distinct mission that comes directly from the message. And, and so that was one. Then we said, okay, let's come up with a mission statement. And I'm very leery of that process because I've seen many churches, many organizations before I was a pastor, have a mission statement that sounded really good. I mean, oh man, it looked good on a t-shirt. It was like really pithy and profound, but there was no rubber meets the road. Like it didn't do anything. Um, it just kind of looked good, but didn't live out well. So I said, all right, we're going to come up with a mission statement that becomes a map for our church. We're going to have a theological map that takes someone from not knowing Jesus to a fully functioning disciple who makes disciples. Because that's that's the goal. Right, all of our churches will one day die. That's unavoidable, right? There's a life cycle of a church. Some churches can be successful for long periods of time, some are short, but the kingdom of God lives forever. So we're kingdom people. So the first thing we have to do theologically to make a disciple who makes disciples is reach a lost person with the gospel. Mm -hmm. Right? John the Baptist, Jesus, when he sent the disciples out originally two by two. They all start with the same one-sentence message, repent. Right. Repent of your sins. The kingdom of heaven is near. Like, so we got to reach lost people with the gospel. So that's one, right? And then we build everything underneath that is, all right, we're going to cultivate and plant and reap. We're going to do some CPR, breathe some life into our community because that's what we do. That's step one. Step two is Jesus, and then we see this in the church, was always connecting Christians. Always. I know it's America. I know we all like to think we're John Wayne, the Lone Ranger. We can do this on our own, but we're made in the image of God. God's never been alone. He's always existed in community. So we connect Christians to the local church. So we built, once again, we built a budget and a system of, of, of uh, resources and ministries to get people who have been reached with the gospel connected to the church that we said okay a lot of american churches stop there mm -hmm. but do those people make disciples no why because they haven't been discipled yet okay well there's our next step right we got to grow disciples in their faith it comes by hearing hearing the word of god so our preaching and teaching ministry and our mentor ministry is all carefully designed you know and listen it's messy 
It's time-consuming. Discipleship is not easy. That's why we don't do it. You know, but Jesus, whenever he got a crowd, he preached his toughest messages and gave his clearest directions so that those who were left were really his, his followers. Amen. Yeah. So we unashamedly, like, grow disciples in their faith and push and pull, and we live in that tension, right? And then finally, the ultimate expression of being a disciple who makes disciples is making disciples. So you got to serve. Everyone's been gifted. Everyone's been given gifts, abilities, and talents and resources, you know, financially in every way. Jesus talked a lot about what we did with our time and money, for sure. So we challenge every single person in our church to serve without apology. So all that came out to this. We are a cornerstone Bible church. We build lives for Christ by reaching the lost with the gospel, connecting Christians to the church, growing disciples in their faith, and serving all people with our gifts. So mm-hmm. that's just an example of how the, our theology has now informed our methodology. Good. So does Thrive uh, also work with Spanish-speaking, French-speaking, or other congregation where English isn't the primary language? Yeah, one of the beautiful things about New York and the Northeast as a whole is we have this beautiful picture that revelations, tribes, tongues, and nations, um, you know, in one one location. We get a little bit of heaven here on earth. There's so much beautiful diversity. And so we we work really hard to find ways to serve all churches, uh, not just primarily English-speaking churches. So one of the ways that we've tried to do that is right away we've partnered with MNYBA. So that's the Metropolitan New York Baptist Association, led by George Russ. One of, of, I mean, I don't want to blow up his spot because he's a very humble guy, but he is one of the godliest men I've ever met. Amen. I I had him on... uh... Yeah, that was one of the earliest podcasts. Well, after yours, we'll just repost that one again. That was uh, in um, during pandemic. Actually, I had him on on the show. Yeah, good friend, a really good friend too. He he, right, he, he loves the local church and all its expressions. Um, I was on a call for his annual meeting, and it was just this beautiful thing where we're hearing from the Chinese churches and the Korean churches and the Filipino churches and. The, Haitian churches and the Dominican churches, like all these different, and, and it was just, um, I don't know, it's enough to make you cry, man. It, re- it really is. So so they cater to over 40 different languages um, within their association alone. So if you're a church listening to this and you're in the New York City metro, like mnyba.org, like do it, just reach out to them. Um, and so what I do is I partner with, with George Russ, and then we will then invite people in that can also help um, serve in different cultural and linguistic settings. Thank so you. our current cohort for Thrive, um, we have um, a Puerto Rican American, we have a Haitian American, uh, a Filipino American, a Brazilian American. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, and this is the norm for us. Like, you know, um, so it's really cool. We don't have anything that is a hundred percent language based yet. So, in other words. We know that we first have to get a fully, uh, where Spanish is a primary language thrive cohort, not just bilingual, mm-hmm. off the ground. We have mm-hmm. to do that. That's coming. Um, we definitely need to do um, one that's Chinese-focused and whatever dialect that would be most effective. And then um, the, the the French Creole for, the, for our Haitian brothers yeah. and sisters, they're very active. 
that's on our radar. So yes, we do serve them, uh, but we still have a long way to go to make yeah. sure that they're getting everything that we can give them in a language that is their native language. Yeah, I, I think you already answered some part of the next question I had for you, but I think still you can help me a little more. If there is someone listening to this podcast right now who's wondering if their congregation really needs help from an organization like yours, Thrive, what would you tell them? So uh, the first thing I would say is you have to look within your own family first. And that doesn't mean that the, your family of churches, your network, your denomination is thriving themselves. They may not have what you need, but I always truly believe that if there's a denomination or a family of churches that planted you, start at home, look for help within that body of believers. You'll be surprised sometimes they have some resources that may not have been communicated to you. Now, if you can't find help there, there are other networks out there that do really, really good work. I'll just name a few off the top of my head. There's Church Answers. I always say Dr. Tom Rayner has the heart of a pastor and the head of a researcher. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a rare combination. It's beautiful. The Unstuck Church Network with Tony Morgan's fantastic. 95 Network with Dale Sellers. I lead the Revitalized Network and the Revitalized Center. Uh, we love working with local churches. So there are different ways that you could go online and type church revitalization. Now, be discerning. Right. Because there will be people out there who are repackaging an old thing as opposed to uh, revitalizing dead churches. Revitalization is a resurrection. Right. I mean, that by, you know, by definition means something new is being born. Now, if you are interested in Thrive, and you're listening to this very simply, uh, I have a number. They'll put it in, in either the email or in the chat or wherever they're going to get this to you. But it's 631-201-5520. 631-201-5520. You put that in your phone. You text the word THRIVE. And it'll just bring you to a form that you can fill out. It's very brief, right? Just enough information that I can contact you or someone from our organization can contact you. And we'll find out whether what we're offering is what you need. And here, here's it's about the kingdom. Yeah, if amen. what we have to offer isn't what your church needs, we will get you to an organization that God willing has that for you. It's not about us. It's about your church growing healthy so they can bring God glory and reach people with the gospel in your community. So it's not about us. Amen. That's awesome. So, Michael, if listeners wants to get in touch with you or find your book, what are the easiest ways? You already explained the process. If they want to get help from Thrive, then mm-hmm. they can text that number and we'll put that number in the uh, description section, too. But it, this question is about you. If they want to get in touch with you yep. and find your book, what are the easiest ways? So our website for our church is cornerstonepjs.org. My email address is Pastor Mike at cornerstonepjs.org. I'm very, very good with my emails. I live my life out of my inbox. So if you email me, I will get back to you. Uh, Regards to the book, I'm just about putting the finishing touches on a book called The Revitalization Roadmap. And it's going to take us on a journey from death to a resurrection in a local church setting. That's going to be released in early January. So by the time this podcast comes out, um, Lord willing, there'll be some links we can give you to take a look at that. But it's the revitaliz- revitalization 
roadmap. I think you'll find it illuminating from where we were and really give you some clarity and then help you be intentional about where we need to go. And I hope it is a blessing. Great. That will also be included in the episode description. And for the last thing, because we talk about heavy stuff and good stuff, I'd like to ask you to tell us a joke. All right. Tell us a joke. You know, when I'm trying to be funny, I always fall flat, you know, so, so let's see here. I did hear this one. It's not mine, but I'll give it. Uh-huh. What did Jonah's family say to him when he told them what happened to him on the way to Nineveh? What? That sounds fishy. Ah. <laughs> that sounds fishy. All right. I'm going to give that to my son. He will enjoy that one a lot. Thank you so much for being on the show again. That was the Mike Rubino, the lead pastor of Cornerstone Church. And thank you to all our listeners. We truly could not do this without you. If you learned something, have a topic suggestion, or would like to leave us feedback, drop us a note at OurUrbanVoices.com. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave an honest review wherever you listen to your podcast. Tune in next week for more honest discussions from Diverse Voices. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.